It's Lamentations chapter 1. I'll give you a minute to meet me there. The text reads like this. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who is great among the nations. She who was a princess princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night and with tears on her cheek among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted. And she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were her from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strengths. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which, ha- which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint 
all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord was trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For those things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for the welcome tonight to share the word of God. And it is from Lamentations chapter 1. I'm sure some of you thought, what is that reading about? (laughs) Um, But with God's help, we'll glean a few things from it, I hope, which will be helpful to all of us. This is probably the darkest book and one of the most neglected book, maybe the most neglected book in the Bible. I've been a Christian for more than 55 years And I cannot actually recall having heard a series preached on this book in my Christian life. I've heard the occasional message, uh, mostly based on chapter 3, verses 22 and uh, 23, which some of you will know. The steadfast Lord of the love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the middle of the book, chapter 3. Now, in many ways, we live in dark times, don't we? Um, When you think about just what is happening in our world, we've had the COVID pandemic with at least 6 million excess deaths, the impact on physical and mental health, 
the horrors of the war in Ukraine, which we see on our screens uh, every day. And although at times we can become desensitized to what we see on the screen, detached from the bloodshed, the utter destruction which we're constantly seeing. And then there are other times of grief just this past week or so in Seoul, in South Korea, the 156 lives that were lost. Um, the drought in Somalia, it can so easily pass us by, but so much suffering in the world in which we live. And our eyes can easily fill with tears as we think more personally, maybe about a loved one who is no longer with us, or a difficult, perplexing situation that maybe you are involved in or you know, which just comes upon you and uh, it, it just hits us and can affect us. And many times I think, if you're like me, you've cried out to God, why has this happened? Or why is this happening? It was not meant to be like this, was it? I became a Christian and I thought when you were a Christian that these things maybe wouldn't affect you, but of course they do. Lord, I know you're sovereign. You're in control. But why do these things happen? And there may be times, even as we come into church, and we are faced with singing maybe an upbeat hymn or a song which is full of joy and assurance that you as an individual can think, am I the only one that sometimes struggles? Struggles to sing the hymn Blessed Assurance, for example. Why should we struggle to sing that? Because the chorus says, praising my Savior all the day long. But is that really true, that I'm praising my Savior all the day long? Or maybe we start the service off with a psalm like Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But is that true? Or the Matt Redmond song, which some of you might know. Blessed be your name with the chorus, you give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And I've struggled to sing that sometimes. I've struggled to sing it because I think of my nephew, a Christian boy who in 2018 went out on his bike and didn't come home because he was killed by a speeding driver. And I'm thinking, I'm singing, and people are joyfully singing, you give and take away, you give and take away. And then I'm thinking, you gave and you took away. And there is grief, and there is real sadness as we think about that. Tim Chalice has just written a book called Seasons of Sorrow. It was published last week. Tim Chalice describes in this book the fear and loss which he and his wife experienced. In November 2020, they received the shocking news that their son Nick had died. He was a 20-year-old student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He'd been participating in a school activity with family, his fiancée, his sister, and his friends when he suddenly fell unconscious, 
collapsed to the ground and passed away instantaneously. And that book simply describes real-time reflections from those first moments of grief. Because grief is real. Grief is lasting. It's not that you can say when someone is grieving, oh, it's going to pass, and in a week or two you'll be fine. That is not true. Sometimes it just hits us when we least expect it. A smell, a sound, something we, we see, and it can just hit because grief is like that. And we're faced with this constant battle in our minds. Lord, I do trust you. I really do trust you. And I do know that you're in control. But why? Why has this happened? I just cannot see how this is right. And it's difficult sometimes to, be, to pretend to be fine. The evangelical cliche as we come in, how are you? Fine. When sometimes we're not actually fine inside. And maybe lamenting is something that we have to consider just a little bit more. Why is it not more a part of our Christian worship? Isn't it strange when we have this whole book given over to lamenting, plus many of the Psalms, plus the book of Job and Jeremiah, that maybe we don't reflect just a little bit more. Because here are books which have been written for our encouragement and for our help. So that when we see people crying out and saying, Lord, why? We can see what they're experiencing. Because we're experiencing the same. So Lamentations is a book which speaks out of darkness and grief. And although difficult... And I have thought long and hard about coming with this message tonight. I've only once ever in my life spoken from the book of Lamentations. So I'm not sure whether it's... I believed it was the right thing to do. So we're coming to Lamentations chapter 1. As Chris Wright, a theologian who's written a superb commentary on this book, said, we actually, as Christians, need this book. We need it in our toolkit so that we can go on living by faith as Christians, even with all our questions. We need this book. So what we're going to do is, first of all, look at the background to Lamentations 1. Now you can read the historical account of what happened and what transpires and what the writer is describing in two places, 2 Kings chapter 25 and Jeremiah chapter 52. If I could summarize what the background to the book is, it's almost 600 years before the coming of Christ. And we're thinking about the small nation of Judah, which tried to stand up to the mighty power of Babylon. And that brought the attack from Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, who laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. And for 18 months, the city was besieged. There was hunger and disease and people scavenging for food. There were emaciated children throughout the city. There were mothers who couldn't feed their children. And then finally, 
the city fell. And Babylonian soldiers overran the city, showed absolutely no mercy, and they robbed and desecrated the temple in Jerusalem before they set fire to the temple, and then they set fire to the whole city. And those who survived the onslaught of the Babylonian army, the cruel Babylonian army, as it was left in ruins, those individuals were taken away into exile. So here we have a nation that had been brought out of captivity into a new land, who are now being thrown out of that land and taken into captivity. And it's out of the horror of the war and destruction and death and devastation that the book of Lamentations is written. Now the writer tells us in chapter 3 and verse 1 that he was an eyewitness. The writer in 3 verse 1 says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. And that's one verse alone, in many ways, is consistent with the writer being Jeremiah. Not everyone agrees with that, but to me, that is absolutely consistent, that the writer is Jeremiah. And the style of this book is poetic. So the writer is, in a sense, giving us a poetic prose-type approach to his writing. Four of the five chapters that we have are written as acrostics, which means that (coughs) each verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are only 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so you'll notice that chapter 1 has 22 verses, chapter 2 has 22 verses, chapter 3 has 66 verses, because the letters of the Hebrew alphabet are in triplets, so three verses for one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 4 is 22 verses, that's part of the acrostic. Chapter 5 is also 22 verses, but it is not in the acrostic style, so it doesn't start with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So that is the background to the book, and it's, it's a unique book in the whole of Scripture and important for us to be able to come and see what God is saying to us. So we're going to listen to the cries which come out of this book. And we're going to go through some of those points that are on, this, on the screen there. And the first point for us to notice in order to understand and get into the book is that the writer is portraying the city of Jerusalem as a woman called the daughter of Zion. So verse 6 of chapter 1, from the daughter of Zion. And chapter 2, verse 1, again gives us the daughter of Zion. So the writer is looking at Jerusalem as a city, and he's picturing a woman, the daughter of Zion or Lady Zion. So it's a poetic picture, portrayal of Jerusalem. And this woman is a desperate sight. She's pictured as groveling in the dirt. She's violated. She's wounded. She's deeply mourning. She's in pain. 
In the first 11 verses of chapter 1, you find the poet is speaking about the daughter of Zion, therefore about Jerusalem. So, verse 1, for example, how like a widow has she become? So here's the poet speaking about the daughter of Zion. Verse 2, she weeps bitterly. Verse 3, her enemies prosper. Verse 6, all her majesty has departed. Verse 11, all her people groan. So you can see the poet, Jeremiah, is speaking about Jerusalem, speaking about the daughter of Zion. She, her. But then from verse 11, at the end of verse 11, Lady Zion speaks for herself. So at the end of verse 11, look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. And then we go to verse 12. See if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. Verse 13. He spread a net for my feet. He left me stunned. Verse 16. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. So the first half of the chapter, it is the poet speaking. The second half Lady Zion is speaking. And the, the, the pivot point is verse 12, when Lady Zion, in a sense, cannot stop herself just crying out, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? It's as though people are passing by and ignoring what is happening in the city. And she cries out, is there any sorrow like my sorrow? And so that seems to be the point that she cannot hold back and she cries out in that way. Now, what we're finding is why is she crying out? Look at what has happened to the nation. Just scan down and see what has actually happened. So verse 3 tells us that Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and into hard servitude. Verse 4 tells us that all the festivals which used to run in Jerusalem, Jerusalem used to be filled with music and dancing, but all those festivals are gone. The roads to Zion mourn, none come to festivals, and the gates are desolate. Or come to verse 7, and what does she talk about? Jerusalem only now has memories of the past. Jerusalem remembers the days of affliction and wandering. There's just memories of what happened in the past. And then verse 10, we have this shocking description of the enemy having come into Jerusalem and entered into the sanctuary, into the very temple, into that inner part that not even a, a, a Jewish man or woman could go into. And yet here had come the enemy and desecrated the very temple of the Lord. And verse 11, just look at the people. They're searching for bread. They're trading their treasures for food. And some people think treasures would be children. So they're trading in their children just to get food to survive. 
This is the picture that we're thinking about. And then you can see why then Lady Zion appeals to the Lord. She's crying out, Lord, look, look. So verse 9, she cries out, O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Or verse 11, look, Lord, look and see, for I am despised. Or verse 20, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. But seemingly there's no answer. It's as though heaven is shut up. No answer. And you just feel her pain and her sorrow. She's crying out. And the pain and the sorrow comes through. Verse 16. For these things I weep. My eyes are flowing with tears. For a comforter is far from me. Or verse 20. And can you emphasize with this? My stomach churns. Vivid, vivid language. My stomach churns, she says, verse 20. Verse 21. They've heard my groaning, and yet there is no one to comfort me. And the poet knows why this has happened. He describes why it has happened. Go back to verse 5, and the poet says, The Lord has afflicted her. The Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Or verse 8, Jerusalem has sinned grievously. So the poet knows why this has happened. And in fact, Lady Zion also knows why it has happened. Because she says in verse 18, the Lord is in the right. For I have rebelled against his word. Or verse 22, you have dealt with me, she says, because of all my transgressions. And we've only got to read through the historical narratives in the preceding centuries, be it in the book of Kings or even into Jeremiah itself, to see how Israel had lived in rebellion to God. They disregarded the warnings of the prophets. Jeremiah himself had said these words in uh, Jeremiah 7, or God through Jeremiah had said this. So Jeremiah, you will speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God. And did not accept the discipline. And so truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. And we see warning after warning. And pleading after pleading. Follow the Lord. Follow him. Change your ways. But ultimately, they went their own way. We know better than God. We'll do our own thing. And then the wrath of the Babylonians brought the judgments of God. And I guess there is still a difficulty as we think about this. Because how can a holy God use an unholy nation like Babylon 
as his arm against those who were his covenant people. Go back to Genesis chapter 12 when God called Abraham and I will make of you a great nation. This was the nation. They were the covenant people of God. And now God is using an unholy nation against his covenant people. And we can tell ourselves that we know the reason and we see the reason. It's because of sin. And we can read and we see what is happening to Lady Zion. It's hard reading, isn't it? It's not easy. And we cannot fail to be moved by the emotion which comes through this chapter. And yet, just as Lady Zion struggled to get her head around why things were happening and all the questions that she had, maybe sometimes we're in a similar position. How can we get our heads around the suffering that we see in our world? Be it known to us personally, or things that we read about, or hear about, watch on the television, be that locally, nationally, or internationally. And it can be easy, even within church life that we enjoy so much, to put into the background what happens to others if it doesn't directly impact us. And therefore, we need a book like Lamentations with all its difficulties to gain an understanding of the suffering which we see around us. And you can rightly say, David, such a depressing message on a Sunday night. I came to church to find encouragement and hope. Uh, I've got a, you know, a week ahead of me. I just needed something to give me a boost to go into the new week. Well, be assured that the writer actually does bring hope in this book. If you come to chapter 3 in those verses, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And you come to chapter 5 and you have this wonderful prayer, a passionate prayer as well. But even from this chapter that we've read tonight, we can learn. And therefore, I want us to learn three things to take away with us tonight. Three really important points. Number one, when God seems distant, he is not absent. Yes, God in this book does seem remote and silent. Some of you will remember the words of a song in the 60s by Simon and Garfunkel, The Sound of Silence. And in a sense, when you come to this book, you hear the sound of silence, at least from heaven. It's the writer, the poet, and Lady Zion who seem to do all the talking. They're the ones who are suffering. And God, in a sense, lets Lady Zion shed her tears, express her inmost feelings, Again and again and again. And the book, in a sense, goes round in circles. If you go home and read through the book, you'll say, well, I've read that before. And in a sense, you have read it before. But God is letting her express her heart's emotions. And he doesn't interrupt with a fear not. He doesn't interrupt with some promise of restoration, at least here. There is one fear not in the book, which maybe you'll read and you can find but not in chapter 1. There's no in-depth explanation 
of the reason for judgment. The prophets have done that over the centuries. Jeremiah himself has done that. God simply lets her pour out her heart. But he's not absent. He is listening. And he understands the tears. And if Lady Zion knew her history, which surely she did, she would know that God did hear the cry of suffering people. What about the nation in Egypt? They cried and God rescued them. And God is going to come and bring comfort and he is going to rescue and bring the exile to an end. So you come to Isaiah chapter 40 in verses that we might read, I guess, towards Christmas. And yet, what is the relevance of comfort ye? Comfort ye, my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And maybe we here tonight need to recognize, however difficult our situations are, that in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When God seems distant, he is not absent. And when there is grievance, we are to come to him. If you feel grievance towards God over loss or circumstances, family, job, whatever it might be, you're not alone. Come to the New Testament in your mind and remember how when Jesus arrived in Bethany after the death of Lazarus, what were the first words that he heard from Martha? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Doesn't that sound a little bit like a grievance? She was a bit upset. Lord, why has this happened? If you'd been here, it wouldn't have happened. And then Mary comes, and what does Mary say? Exactly the same. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But side by side, with those grievances, Martha comes and says to the Lord, but I know, Lord, whatever you ask from God, he will give you. To which Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Questions in juxtaposition with belief. And isn't that so often how some of us feel? Lord, I believe. But I've just got a question. <laughs> Why? And that's exactly what is happening here in Lamentations chapter 1. And then finally, when we suffer, remember the greatest suffering. You see, the suffering of Jerusalem, which we read of here in Lamentations 1, Lady Zion, it's immense, is it not, as you read through it? And we can struggle to read a chapter like Lamentations 1. But our focus is taken away from Lamentations if we fast forward the hundreds of years to the very same city on a cross outside the rebuilt city walls. 
where God himself, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, bore the very judgment of a holy God against sin. And that was at the hand of murderous, violent enemies. And his agony was infinite as he took upon himself the sins of men and women, boys and girls, as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A cry of dereliction and abandonment. And the sinless Savior, who bearing shame and scoffing rude, and in my place condemned, he stood. The one who knew no sin, made to be sin, that you and I may become the righteousness of God, which Michael prayed in his prayer earlier, that we might be made right with God. He bore the wrath of God. You see, Jerusalem suffered the judgment of God on her own sin. But he bore the judgment of God on your sin and my sin. He was the Lamb of God who was taking away the sin of the world. He was the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. This is the power of the cross where Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath that I, that you, might stand forgiven at the cross. And just as the cross gave away to the resurrection, to Christ's resurrection, so his resurrection is the guarantee of ours. And all those who trust in Christ, on that day, there will be no more tears. He will wipe away every tear from out of our eyes. No more grief and no more mourning. Isn't that the victory of the cross? Isn't that what we've come to celebrate tonight? That we have a Savior. One who will walk out of that door as we walk out of that door. He's with us. Every step of this coming week. And that is the encouragement we need to go into this new week, however difficult it may be, however questions we might have, there was no sorrow like his sorrow. And we can trust him because he will ultimately walk every step of our path with us. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Well, let's sing that hymn.